Well, good job, churching. That's what we do as a church. We actually talk to one another, and not just a spectator sport, right? Good morning to you. My name's Brad. I'm one of the pastors here. I, am, I have the honor in a moment to be able to share God's word with you, but before we do that, I'm just going to get the announcements out of the way so that you know what is going on everywhere. Number one, uh, today is what now? Well, it's New Year's Eve, yeah. It's also the last day of 2023, so if it's important to you to get your giving in uh, marked by 2023, we got boxes in the back, so have at them. Uh, Number two announcement. Um, Starting on January, oh, we'll do that one. Okay, so uh, we have a little tradition here that when a family that is a part of our church has their first child, we try to celebrate together. And so we are going to be hosting a baby shower for Spencer and Jennifer Petty. They actually, unfortunately, they walked in first service right as I was doing the announcement. So it was perfect. Like they could wave. You guys don't get the wave. That's the unfortunate part. But Jen Jen sometimes will sing and she sings here and she's the air guitarist in the band. If you ever watch. Now she'll be embarrassed and she'll never do it again. But she, uh, she's having her first baby. They're having a baby boy. So on January 8th, which is a week from tomorrow, we're going to celebrate with them uh, having a baby shower over in Ray Hall at 6 o'clock. It is not just a, uh, a women's baby shower. It's not just for, like, women to get together and play silly baby shower games. It's a celebration for the church. So if you're available, come celebrate with them Monday night uh, in Ray Hall. Next. So we're just finishing a Christmas season in which we focused or tried to focus that energy or some of that energy on evangelism, giving you an opportunity to use the Christmas season to pray for the people that God still wants to save, that you know. We put names up on a board, and uh, I, uh, I attended all three Christmas Eve services, not because I'm more holy than you. It's part of my job. I had to be here. But I was here for all three Christmas Eve services, and though I did as instructed by Jesse and didn't look up when he was saying, hey, if you just gave your life to Christ and would love to my clothes are not that old that was a literal moth that just flew off of me all right Jesus had a dove coming down I have moths flying off of me Uh, anyway so Jesse was uh, giving people an opportunity to give their lives to Christ. And just by me listening, it sounded like about seven or eight people per service gave their life to Christ for the very first time, which was a phenomenal thing to hear that the Spirit was working on that day. And he's not done, by the way, just first service. Someone else gave her life to Christ for the very first time. It was a fantastic thing to see and to celebrate. And that's a wonderful thing. We are celebrating that God is still at work. Uh, here in Truckee. And so the next step after that, now you don't need to have like some type of degree to then follow Jesus for the rest of your life. But as a church, we want to try to help you because so much about what the culture has told you is wrong. And instead, what Jesus has for you is so much better than what the culture offers you. And so starting January 21st, I'm going to be teaching a class primarily for new believers. Now, what I mean by that, don't get caught up in terms of the time, but if you gave your life to Christ during this Christmas season and happened to 
come back, that's a wonderful thing. If you've given your life to Christ within the last couple of years, or maybe you gave your life to Christ a long time ago, but then never really took it seriously, and now you're starting to kind of see the Spirit reawaken something in you, and you want to know more about what it looks like to live life with Christ, this class is for you. But what I would encourage you to do, second service comers, what that means is that we'll want you to come to first service because we're going to do it during the second service hour. So you don't have to carve out an extra day or an extra night for you to be able to be a part of it. So if that's something that you're interested in, no cost to you. Show up on January 21st and we'll for three weeks meet during the second service time to talk about what new life with Christ looks like. Last, if you are a junior hire and you want to get together with the other junior hires, Pastor Caleb is out in the entryway to do that. Everyone else, uh, we are going to open up our Bibles to John chapter 1. I'm going to see, looks like I don't have helpers. Jerry, are you going to help out? And Josh is going to help. And Zach, this is perfect. Men, if you could hand out Bibles. If you didn't bring a Bible and you want to borrow one of ours, wave at one of these glorious men that just jumped up last minute to hand out those Bibles. And the rest of you open up to the book of John. It's in the New Testament. It's the fourth gospel. And if you borrow one of the church's Bibles, it's on page 833. So you can use that. I I don't know. We always snicker sometimes when I say the page numbers. But sometimes those of us who have been following Christ a long time forget, like, this book works different than all the other books. So they don't necessarily know, what do you mean by book of John? Just turn to page 833, and the rest will sort itself out, okay? Now, now that we're all there, everybody there? Okay, I'm going to invite you one more time. I know it's starting to feel kind of Roman Catholic, up, down, up, down, up, down, up, down, up, down. But uh, I'm going to invite you to stand, and we do this as a tradition at our church, primarily to use our bodies to remind ourselves how significant the words are that we're about to read. If you can stand, I invite you to do so. We're going to read John chapter 1, starting in verse 35. I'm going to read from the English Standard Version. The next day... Again, John, and this is a reference to John the Baptist, was standing with two of his disciples. And he looked at Jesus, and as he walked by, he said, Behold, the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard him say this, and they followed Jesus. Jesus turned and saw them following and said to them, What are you seeking? And they said to him, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? And he said to them, come and you will see. So they came and saw where he was staying. And they stayed with him that day for it was about the 10th hour. Pray with me. Holy Spirit, I've asked you time and time again to make this time you speaking to your people. And so now in faith, I believe that you will answer that prayer. That you will speak to your people. And I know that their hearts need to be open to receive whatever message that you have prepared for them. And so I pray that you would do that. That you would open their hearts. That as a result of the message that you have prepared for your people, that we would be able to see you more clearly and praise you all the more. For you are beautiful. We give you this time. Amen. You can be seated. So, in John chapter 1... What we, the section that we just read, what I thought would be kind of fun with tomorrow being the beginning of a brand new year, I thought it'd be fun for us to start with, start the new year with the first red letters in the book of John. How many of you just wave at me if you have a red letter Bible? 
Okay, so a a good portion of you. There's some strengths and some weaknesses to the Red Letter Bible. What's cool about the Red Letter Bible is that it's easy to find, hey, this is Jesus talking. That's what the Red Letters are. The weakness is that sometimes you have a tendency to be like, well, then are the other words as important? And the simple answer is yes, they are as important. They're all God's words. But the Red Letters just point you to where God spoke through Jesus to mankind. And the first place in the book of John that Jesus speaks, we get those words in the section that we just read. Let me give you a little bit of context so that you know what's happening when we get there. John, one of the followers of Jesus, starts his recollection, his gospel, in John 1, 1 through 18, talking about the global significance of Jesus in God's story. And he uses a lot of deep, rich theological concepts that we don't have time to get into, but are certainly worth your time to study. John, the gospel writer, then starts telling us in verses 19 through 34 about John the Baptist. And John the Baptist acts as an announcer of Jesus' coming. Now, along the way, due to his odd behaviors, wearing camel's hair and eating the weirdest diet of all time, if you want to, you know, eat bugs, go ahead. Uh, But he's out baptizing people, telling them, get ready for the coming of the Messiah. And so John the Baptist starts amassing his own followers. Starting in verse 35, where we read our section of text then, one of the days that John the Baptist was out doing his thing with his followers, Jesus walks by. He points to Jesus and declares his significance to John's followers. Behold, the Lamb of God. And the followers took John the Baptist so seriously, they're like, well, I guess that's the guy that the whole point of John the Baptist was so Thanks, John. Lots of good times, huh? And then they hop, and they hop on the Jesus train. And they start following Jesus. And then we get to the first red letters in John. They're translated from the Greek question in verse 38. T zetete. I say this to you for two reasons. One, it'll come up later. And two, it's fun to say. And it's still December. And so we get to do elf quotes all the way through December. So Zetete, that's fun to say. Zetete, Zetete. So just stick it in your mind. Not that I'm trying to make you a Greek scholar, but well, you're, you're going to need that word later. Jesus turns to them and says, Ti Zetete, which means in a loose translation, what do you want? What do you want? It's funny, the, the picture that comes up here in verse 38 is that they're following after him. And almost like, like it, moms, maybe you identify with this. Like the kids are like behind you and they're just like, mom, 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 mom. Like, what do you want? Like, I almost get that type of picture. It's not exactly like that. And I'm going to tell you why in a moment. But Jesus turns to these men and says, what do you want? What are you seeking? What are you after? Now, here's what's weird about that question. Think about it for a second. This is Jesus. If you're familiar at all with Jesus, maybe you're familiar with some of the other times that Jesus was talking to people where the gospel writers wrote things like this. Like look at Matthew 9, 4. Matthew writes in his gospel, Jesus, knowing their thoughts, then went on to respond. Luke in his gospel in 6, 8 writes, Jesus knew what they were thinking and he went on to respond. Later in Luke, in chapter 9, verse 47, Luke writes, Jesus, knowing what they were thinking, 
He then goes on to respond. Or even if you look at John's gospel, in the first section that we talked about, Jesus is identified as the word. The writer of Hebrews in chapter 4, verse 12, writes that the word is able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. My friends, was Jesus asking this question because he needed the answer from them? Jesus knew exactly what they were thinking. Jesus knew exactly what they were feeling. Jesus knew their intentions. When Jesus asks these new followers the question, what are you looking for? What do you want? What are you seeking? He's asking them for them. He's asking them so that they would ask themselves, what am I really after when I follow this guy? What do I really want? Now let's look at their answer because, spoiler alert, it's a good one. They said to him, what do they call him? Rabbi, which means teacher. So they know that this guy is something special and that in this culture, in a Jewish culture, to call somebody rabbi means, I know that the words that come out of your mouth are worth basing my life on. Rabbi, where are you staying? Their answer was that they wanted to stay with Jesus. We just wanted to be with you. We want to we know you. We want to have our lives shaped by you. As we walk into a brand new year, I encourage you to let Jesus ask you this question this morning. What? What are you really after? I mean, what, what do you want? What's going to drive you this year? I understand that answering this question is going to take some introspection, and I would suggest that under the guidance of the Spirit that you allow that to occur, because if you're anything like me, we are often driven by our desires, but sometimes we don't even know what it is that we want. Sometimes our desires are in conflict with one another. Sometimes you know, one of the phrases that we'll say a lot in our in our house is like, well, a part of me wants this, but a part of me wants that. It's the same me. Like, I, want, I seem to want different things at times. One of the prayers that I started praying throughout this last year when I stumbled upon it in Psalm, uh, chapter, uh, Psalm chapter 86, verse 11, is God, unite my heart to revere your name. God, take this ball of desire that often has a tendency to drive me and sometimes could conflict, could you unite it, please, so that it would rightly revere your name? You see, I know a lot of you in this room. Not every single one of you. Welcome to the visitors. Glad you're here. And I imagine that you're probably similar to the people that I do know in this room. And as such, I feel like I can confidently say, I know many of the things that you want. You want to be successful. You would like to raise your kids well. You want to have better relationships. Maybe you're single and you're wanting to be married. Maybe you're married and you're wanting to somehow figure out how to be better married. Maybe you're wanting to restore some relationships with kids or other family members. And you know what? Let's be honest. In terms of where we live, you want to play and you want to be comfortable and you want to enjoy yourself 
Hear me clearly. None of the desires I just listed off is a bad thing. I'm not telling you that those desires that I know that you have, you know how I know that you have them? They're in me too. I want those things too. And none of those desires is in and of itself a bad thing. But we need to realize that even these desires themselves can be deceptive. I want to show you how Jesus addresses desire in another spot. If you turn over to Matthew chapter 16. In Matthew chapter 16, the circumstances are different into which Jesus is speaking. But Jesus wants to address the question, what do you want? In Matthew chapter 16, I just want to look at verse 25. Unfortunately, the version of the Bible that you borrowed from us, maybe the the English Standard Version, is not the best version of this verse. So I'm going to directly translate it for you. But you'll see kind of what's going on here. In Matthew chapter 16, verse 25, Jesus says this, For whoever wants or wishes or desires, so Jesus is addressing the issue, what do you want? Whoever wants, wishes, or desires, and then the next word there is his soul, his psuche, which is the whole part of you that God sees and wants to interact with. It actually, in the Jewish idea, includes your body, so it could be translated, your life as a whole, whatever makes you, you. Whoever wants or wishes or desires to save his own life or soul, he must lose it. But whoever would lose his psuche, whoever would lose his soul, his life, for my sake, he will find it. Jesus loves teaching in this paradoxical type of way. What Jesus is trying to tell his followers is that whatever you are doing to orchestrate your life will be a total loss if it is not first guided by the pursuit of Jesus. Jesus is answering the question, what do you want? Whoever wants, whoever wishes, whoever desires, you can see maybe why the ESV is not necessarily the best translation of this because they take out the want, the wish, desire word, but it's in there. Whoever desires or wants to keep his life, whoever wants his life to mean something, to save his life, to make a life for himself that is actually worth living, whoever wants this, let him, and then he uses this weird word, apolumi in Greek, which means to let go to the extent that it might even be completely destroyed. Whoever wants to save his life must let it go to the extent that it might even get destroyed in the process. But if you will do this, you will find life. The one who finds life, the one whose life actually means something, The one whose life is worth saving is the one who lets all his ambitions, however noble they may sound, be expressed only in light of how Jesus wants to use them. That's what he's saying here in Matthew. If you want your life to be saved, 
Turn it over to me and you will find life. It's interesting. I spent the majority of 2023 focusing a lot of my study on the Sermon on the Mountain. And in the Sermon on the Mountain, what I found is that so much of what is in there actually addresses the bulk of what Jesus liked, to te- liked teaching. Jesus loved teaching in different ways about our desires because he knows that our desires often drive us. So naturally, Jesus wants to teach his followers, here's how these desires could be channeled into what it is that I am going to be about in your life. And so in the Sermon on the Mountain, Jesus spends the majority of his time talking about our desires. Now, in as much as I would love to unpack the entirety of the Sermon on the Mountain, it is worth doing, especially Matthew's version of it that goes for three straight chapters. What I'm going to do is just show you how Jesus wants to talk to you about your desires in the Sermon on the Mountain. So what follows is going to be the quickest crash course of you becoming a master of two-thirds of the Sermon on the Mountain, okay? If this is like too much for you, just hang on for the ride. It'll be over in a couple of minutes, okay? But just really fast. Take a look at what Jesus does with the Sermon on the, Mount, the, oh, the, Sermon on the Mountain in Matthew 5. First, in chapter 5, verses 1 through 16, what he addresses is, hey, y'all who are following me, what I know is that you want to be successful. You want to be well off. But the people who will be well off, the ones who are the blessed, that's the word that he keeps using over and over again, the ones who are blessed are those who live in my kingdom and buy my kingdom resources. Those are the ones who are well off. If you're looking for success and to be well off, learn from me. Learn of my kingdom. Know my resources. But he doesn't stop there because he realizes we have lots of desires. Then he spends the rest of chapter 5 recognizing that if you're anything like me, I totally identify with this. I want to know what the rules are. If you're going to tell me what it, le- what it looks like to be a, be a blessed person in life, then tell me what the rules are. And the rules are often going to be the easiest for me to comprehend if you can give it to me in black and white. And so Jesus then goes through this long stretch of you've heard it said, but I say to you, when he, as a result, teaches his followers, the law is not about absolutes and rules. It's about what is loving. But then he goes into chapter six and he addresses another one of our needs. I know that many of you in the room, this is something that you want. We want people to think that we're good people. We want a good reputation. And what Jesus decides to teach is that you all are doing these things to try to get a good reputation, but you're missing out on the blessing because true blessing comes from acting solely in worship to God, doing things solely for his sake regardless of what reputation it builds for you. And then he finishes out chapter three, I'm sorry, chapter six, talking, this might be the passage that you're the most familiar with because he realizes that every single one of us in this room wants control over our own welfare. And Jesus says to you, bad news is you have no control whatsoever. Good news is the one who does is a father of blessing that wants to care for you. My favorite section of the Sermon on the Mountain, and I just can't help but share it because I love it, uh, is, 
is the section where he's talking about clothing. Where we're, why is it that you would actually, and the word that he likes to use is, it's translated worry into English, but the word that he uses is, why would you let your soul be pulled to pieces over what you wear? Look at the darn wildflowers, he actually says. These wildflowers that just like spring up. And they're more beautiful than the most arrayed king that has ever existed in Jewish culture. And you're telling me that you're having a hard time trusting God who dresses the grass that gets thrown into the fire. You don't think he's going to take care of you? He will. And true blessing will be found when we finally realize, Father, I give you control over my welfare. And I receive your care for me. And it's because of this that Jesus then turns to verse 30, I have it up here, 33 of chapter 6, where, and I told you this word would show up again, Jesus says, but zetete proton. And I know there's a new Greek word up there for you, so proton, I'll help with your translation. Proton means first or in primary position. Zetete, you've heard before. That's our buddy, the elf word. Zetete was what? What's it mean? Want, look for, seek, search. And it's this verse that you've probably heard before, but seek first the kingdom and his righteousness. What Jesus says after saying, look, you don't even need to be controlled. You don't need to worry about being controlled in your own welfare. You have no control. The Father of blessing will care for you. I'm telling you, my friends, then he says this, just seek first the kingdom and being rightly oriented to and with God and all these things will be added to you. God is going to take care of you. What do you want? What are you really looking for this year? I'm telling you, that if you will take Jesus' words seriously to seek him first and his kingdom and his resources first, that you will live the life of blessing that you're actually looking for. And, and I'm not going to try to blow smoke up your spiritual skirt and tell you that that's going to take, that you just immediately can turn over and start doing that. I'm sorry it came out that way. I'm, I'm unholy too. It's going to be a process to becoming the kind of person whose heart is united in reverence to God. And so because of that, I wanted to try to give you just some practical steps so that this isn't just like spiritual God talk, but let me just give you like some things that you could even start doing today and tomorrow that will help you do this. First, be honest in your prayers. Praying things like God Help me to see what I want. God, help me understand how you've really made me. God, help me want you. Another phrase that we've started using in my family is, God, help me want to want you. The want to want? Are you, maybe you're not familiar with this. The easiest way to think about the want to want is that some of you are like, I want to work out in 2024. And then come March 1st, you will not be working out anymore. That's just the way that it always works, right? Because you don't actually want it that bad. You want to want it. And that's okay too. That's kind of where you're at. It gets you through January through March, kind of. You know, you're mildly in better shape than you were the year before. It's a good step. 
You know what's beautiful about God? He'll take that kind of faith from you. God, I, I want to want you. I'm just not really sure I actually do want you that much. God can work with that. If you will give it to him honestly and be honest in your heart with where you stand with him. God, I want to want you. Some of you may need to kind of get alone while you go through this process. It can be hard to process this thing, what's going on in your heart separately. I would encourage you to utilize what's known as the spiritual discipline of solitude. And one of the things that I'm looking forward to in 2024 is I'm really hoping that I can somehow be used by God to try to help encourage y'all into a new, uh, a new understanding of how the spiritual disciplines can work in your life. And the discipline of solitude is, is often the discipline that we use most frequently to separate from the stuff that's happening in our life and actually taking an honest look with the Holy Spirit of what is it that I actually want. And praying those prayers of God, unite my heart to revere you. The second step that I would give you though would be to devote everything, and I mean everything, all your actions toward pleasing God. There's a, a guy in the 1600s that's now known as Brother Lawrence. He was a, a monk. He wrote a very small book, or it's a book that's kind of a collection of his teachings, and then a portion of it is actually his words directly, called The Practice of the Presence of God. It's a book that I read with some amount of regularity because what Brother Lawrence wanted to try to figure out is how do I live in a reality that I already know is true? Now, maybe you don't know this. Maybe this will be the first time that you've heard this. And I'm saying, I'm saying this with 100% a, a, a genuine response. I don't know if you know this, but God is not just here in this building. God God goes with you. He's around everything that you do. Not like in this CIA spy program type of way where I'm going to make sure that you're doing the things you're supposed to and not. No, he actually has indwelt you so that he could live as a dynamic part of your everyday existence. He's not just here. We gather to worship him, but he goes with you from this place. And Brother Lawrence wanted to figure out what does it look like to try to live as if that reality is as true as I know it to be. Now, he has a lot of things to say about it, but I found one that I wanted to share with you was this. The most excellent method that he, Brother Lawrence, had found of going to God was that of doing our common business without any view of pleasing men And as far as we are capable, purely for the love of God. What Brother Lawrence as a dishwasher figured out was that you don't have to do big spiritually fancy things for God. You think God's really impressed by you with all your fancy things you do for him? No. I love that Mavis laughs because she knows. (laughs) She knows. She knows. We don't have to do big fancy things for God. If God has some big fancy thing on a plate for you, by all means, chase it down, do it to his glory, and we will celebrate with you. But friends, you don't have to be some type of spiritual G.I. Joe. Just go about doing your common business without any view of pleasing men, and as far as you're capable, doing it purely out of a love for God. 
if you're not one that can really respond to quotes of other people, then let me just show you that this idea is in Scripture too. Three passages that maybe you're familiar with. Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 10 says, do all that you do to the glory of God. In his letter to the Colossians chapter 3, he writes, do everything in the name of Jesus as Jesus' representative, as a representation of Jesus to the world. Do it all. Peter writes in his letter, chapter 4, that we do all for the glory of Jesus. Doing the common stuff that we do on a day-in and day-out basis with Jesus in mind is the path of living, seeking first the kingdom of God. Let me give you some practical ways that this could even look. You could literally spend your whole day just praying short prayers. You could still live your normal life, but just praying short prayers in the midst of it to give all of your efforts to him and experiencing his life while you recognize his presence. Things like this. Just start easy. This is an easy place to start. Jesus, thank you for this meal. It's, it is so easy to default in the position of trying to do this and take this seriously. It's so easy to default into gratitude. That is just a simple way. I guarantee you, even if you are going through the darkest time you've ever experienced in your entire life. I'm sorry that you are, and it sucks. It shouldn't be that way, and I'm here for you. But I'm telling you that even in the midst of it, there's probably a little something that you can be grateful for. Jesus, thank you. When you go to work, Jesus, help me complete this project for your reputation. Help me do a good job on this so that people know me as a Christian that I did this for Jesus' sake. Help me complete this project for your reputation. Parents, Jesus, guide me in guiding these small humans that constantly surround me and drive me crazy. Guide me because I know that you love them more than I do and you trusted me with them. I'm not so sure about that planning, but it, it's the way that you chose it. So guide me in guiding them. But it doesn't have to be all serious stuff. You know Jesus wants to be involved in your fun too, right? Like Jesus actually does want you to have fun. Are we okay with this idea? I hope so. Like Jesus, should we cross country or downhill today? Which one you want? Like, like should we swoosh, swoosh this way or swoosh, swoosh that way? Like whatever the case is. Like you, and then maybe as you're swooshing, you're... you're you're, you're giving him glory. God, thank you that I have the time and the money to be able to do this. God, look at these trees. Nice work on these trees. God, this gaper over here that I'm about to trip on. I know you love them. Help me love them too, right? Like whatever the case is, God goes with you in your fun too. Just look to him in the process. Jesus, love my spouse through me. I know you love my spouse. I know you love my spouse more than I love my spouse. Love my spouse through me. Even something silly like, Jesus, hey, come enjoy this movie with me. Like, just come relax with me, Jesus. It's so funny. The longer that you pursue Jesus, the more you start to see that he keeps telling his story over and over and over again. I'm such a sap. Last night we sit down to watch Moana again. 
even though my kids are like, they're over watching it, but you watch Moana and the gospel is in it. Disney hates Jesus. They want to get rid of him and they can't help but telling Jesus' story over and over again. I cry every single time when she's coming down to the lava monster saying, I have crossed the horizon to find you and I know your name. That's the gospel story. He has crossed the horizon to find you, literally going from heaven to earth. And he knows you deeply. And he loves you exactly in the state that he finds you. And he knows how to restore you. Poor Pixar can't help but tell you the gospel. (laughs) Jesus, watch this movie with me. You know my favorite prayer to pray? Jesus, thank you for this bed. (laughs) Ah. Yes. (laughs) If you find that there is no prayer to which you can invite Jesus to partner with you in something, then maybe you should ask yourself if you should be doing it at all. Because the reality is he wants to be involved in everything in your life. He wants to go with you. So ask yourself this year. Jesus asks you so that you will ask you, Tizatete. What do you want? What are you looking for? What is it that you're actually after? Brad, come on up. When you allow the Spirit to search your heart, to search your desires, you, like me, will find that there's all kinds of things in there. And Jesus invites you to submit all of those to Him and to seek Him first this year and here's the thing if you'll do it I can tell you from scripture and even my own personal experience if you will seek him first in all things you will find something so much greater than you ever wanted with your pathetic little desires you will and you see I don't know if you were looking around the room when I just said that the old people nodded first because they've walked before you and they've seen it. If you will seek him first, he will give you so much more than what you ever wanted. I'm not talking about money. I'm not talking about castles. I'm talking about what your heart really wants. So in the vein of what Jesus would encourage you to do, lose yourself to him this year and you will find a life worth living. Holy Spirit, as we go from this place. Would you give us the power to take Jesus' words seriously? That we could give ourselves to you as an act of worship and that our lives would be constantly blessed by the reality of your presence, your loving arms going through everything with us. We give it all to you, for you deserve it all. Amen.